Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show. Thanks for joining us to lead, learn, and laugh. I'm Michael Bull, your host to the world of commercial real estate. Well, our topic today is retail and retail real estate. We'll get a look at the U.S. investment market. We'll also discuss retail tenant strategies. We'll also share some leasing tips. You know, the retail investment market has been really hot. At Bull Realty, we're based in Atlanta, and we sell shopping centers and single-tenant net lease properties throughout the southeast, and it's very busy right now. There's a lot of buyer demand. We're also seeing improved property performance in most of the submarkets we work in. Uh, I can see rental rates have really been increasing. Well, let's get us let's start with a look at the investment market in the U.S. Please welcome my first guest, Dan Fasulo, Managing Director, Real Capital Analytics. Dan, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Michael. Well, Dan, how has retail property sales volume and cap rates started off in 2014, and how does it compare to uh, last year? We're just about to release our Q1 numbers, and and what I'm seeing is a, a pretty broad. Uh, recovery and in investment activity and, and, and pricing, uh, you know, definitely matching up your, your anecdotal thoughts there about what's going on in Atlanta. Um, we tracked, uh, RCA tracked just under $19 billion worth of uh, retail property sales nationwide in Q1. Uh, that's up uh, about 100% versus the Q1 of 2013, and it's, it's the strongest start uh, to a year since 2007, actually, and you know, really diving down to the different, you know, subtypes. You know, there's a lot of subtypes on uh, in retail. It, the recovery was broad across uh, different types of properties and even different markets. You know, uh, um, you know, this recovery and in investment activity is not limited to the uh, the major markets anymore. Well, that's interesting. So, what do you see for cap rates across some of these property types? Yeah, well, you know, retail was late to the, the, the cap rate compression party, if you will. So um, it, it's the higher yields available are really, you know, drawing money in from other property sectors uh, that were preferred earlier in the recovery cycle, you know, like a multifamily um, and CBD office. But, you know, with yields, you know, super low in those segments, um, you know, the capital's flowing in and we're starting to see pretty much across the board uh, cap rate compression, strip centers, um, um, obviously uh, uh, urban type retail uh, has been very hot, and even regional malls we're seeing uh, 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 some nice compression lately. And how much compression are you seeing? I mean, if, if volume has doubled from Q1 of last year, you must be seeing quite a bit of compression. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, Depending on the segment, it's any, anywhere from you know 30 to 90 basis points, mm-hmm. and then that's in an environment where interest rates kind of creeped up over the past 12 months as well. And what do you expect for demand moving forward, Dan? Do you expect this uh, retail investment market continue to heat up? What do you think will happen? Well, the the, the bulls are, are are saying that you know look how far we've come back without. A significant recovery in economic conditions. You know, we've kind of been trickling along here um, uh, with, with the national recovery, and as you said, it you know rents are just perking up now. Uh, we have you know in most markets, um, you know rents are still 15, 20 percent off where uh, off their highs from the last peak. So I think the sector could certainly um, still. Um, 
um, see some momentum in 2014. You know, eventually, you know, as we approach kind of 2007 levels of activity again, we're going to run into the law of big numbers. But um, I see pretty uh, a pretty rosy uh, scenario um, uh, here in 2014. So, Dan, do your institutional uh, clients around the country and around the world, you know, how do they feel about retail compared to other property types? It definitely depends which which segment mm-hmm. uh, of the market you're in. You know, for the larger, uh, more institutional quality assets, there, there's a broad range of, uh, of 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 institutional capital interested. You know, whether it's pension funds, insurance companies, you know, foreign investors, um, or even the the larger public REITs. You know, in the single tenant segment, you know, it's really been the REITs that have been dominating, um, not just the public REITs, but the non-traded, the private REITs. Uh, I've been gobbling up uh, assets nationwide. Well, I think it's a good time, you know, with interest rates still as low as they are. And like you said, the fundamentals are improving. And you mentioned uh, foreign in- investors. How much of your volume is from foreign investors? And, and what's the trend there? Are we seeing a little more foreign investment than we did last year or, or not? Yeah, I mean, the, the actual dollar amount is way up. Um, but overall, um, you know, foreign investors never really get higher than, than about 10% of the overall market um, for a variety of reasons, uh, not the least. Uh, the difficulty is getting money in the country and the uh, additional taxation through FERPTA. Um, and, and to be honest, also, RCA is undercounting it a little bit because a lot of foreign capital comes in, you know, through, um, uh, through, through uh, investment managers, through through dedicated funds, and even through private partnerships, uh, mainly on the coasts. Um, You know, if you're in the right segment of the market, you're definitely feeling uh, the influence of foreigners. And I'm I'm thinking about, you know, kind of high street urban retail um, is is a preferred uh, asset class right now. Right. We're talking with Dan Fasulo with Real Capital Analytics about the retail investment market. And, and Dan, what are some of the uh, trends? What's affecting this uh, retail investment market? What are you hearing? You know, I think everyone's really waiting for the fundamentals to pop, mm-hmm. you know, for, for rents really to take off again, for, um, for occupancy levels to, to increase. I think you're, you're, you've seen steady improvement. Um, uh, little by little, and there's a lot of money trying to get ahead of the improvement in fundamentals um, right now, and and even maybe you know paying a little too much for you know some opportunistic opportunities, according to some. Um, so you know we're waiting for that recovery in fundamentals, and I think that could be the next uh, leap forward, if you will. And I guess the lack of new construction has been part of that, hasn't it? I guess. Uh, that's uh, that's why some of these investors are thinking that they're going to see a big pop in the increase in, in fundamentals because of the lack of new supply. Uh, that's a great point. And mm-hmm. in your second and third ring suburbs have been little to no con- construction over the past five years of new retail space. Yeah. Well, Dan, what's in the numbers that might surprise people? You know, with um, with prices. Uh, having surpassed all-time record highs for certain segments of the retail sector, uh, I think that you're going to find a situation where there's some natural uh, pushback from investors. Um, I, 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 
probably put uh, urban retail in that bucket. Even some, um, you know, larger, um, more long-term let institutional assets. I think with the, you know, potential rise in interest rates, I think pricing's gone uh, just about as far as it can go, uh, without another external event really driving even more capital um, into our space here. Yeah, that's a good point. I think some of these cap rates for, for some of these core assets might surprise some of our listeners. You know, what are some sample cap rates that, that they're so low might surprise some of our listeners in, in various areas of the country? Oh, oh, you know, in some of the major metros. I mean, I've, I've seen some sub-four caps mm-hmm. uh, for certain assets. I mean, that's usually um, with a, an under-rented property in a, in a prime location. You've got to do a leasing strategy. But even for some of the single-tenant retail properties um you know with that income locked in for a long term you know accepting a, a yield um you know five to six percent makes me a little nervous um especially if, if if interest rates go back to historical norms yeah that's a good point and uh but it is a nice hard asset i think you know, people feel uh, safe uh, with real estate to to a certain extent you know, it's not going to uh, go away. Well, we're short on the break, but where do you see some opportunities, Dan? Uh, I, I do like opportunistic plays, mm-hmm. um, especially in first-ring suburbs and more urban-type environments. Uh, almost every city has something like that. Um, I think that's where the demographics are. I think that's where the growth is. I think that's where um, where companies want to locate. It's where people want to live. Um, I, I, I'm nervous, as I said, about kind of long-term leased core property right now. Yeah. Well, Dan, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate you being here. Thank you, Michael. If you like more from Dan and Real Capital Analytics, visit rcanalytics.com. Well, stay with us. We're going to have more on retail and retail, retail real estate. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. If you'd like to know the absolute latest on any commercial real estate-related topics, check out our on-demand show podcast. There are recent shows, including one on tips for using LinkedIn, I think you'll like, and updates and projections on the major sectors like office, industrial, and multifamily. Just grab your phone, tablet, or computer, visit iTunes, YouTube, or the show website, commercialrealestateshow.com and you'll see some changes there. It's a brand new website, lots of content. Please do check it out. Today we're exploring retail and retail real estate. Please welcome Mike Pooling, SVP Leasing for DLC Management. Headquartered in New York, DLC leases over 117 open-air shopping centers, totaling over 16 million square feet in 31 states. Mike, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Appreciate you being here. Also, please welcome Robert Franson, partner, Coro Realty Advisors, a full-service real estate investment and managing partner founded in 1997 with a special focus on retail. Robert, thanks for joining us. Thank you. 
Well, guys, you've heard from uh, Dan Fasulo about the investment market, and, and I'd like to switch gears a little bit here and talk about some of the tenant demand, because if we don't have the tenants, we don't have any investment properties, do we? So, so Mike, how are you finding demand right now for tenants? I mean, some of the listeners may think, you know, there's not been much demand in the past. What are you seeing today? Well, uh, DLC has a pretty uh, geographically diverse portfolio. Uh, we operate from coast to coast in about 30 states. Um, so I, I think that we have a pretty good benchmark. And what we're seeing is pretty high demand in most of the markets that we operate. Um, and that's by every metric. If you look at uh, decreasing vacancy, the rent growth, uh, the basic economics in most of the markets that we operate in, we're seeing some job growth, uh, which is always a positive sign. And um, you know we're we're really seeing uh, it moving in the right direction. Now there are some places I would say uh, across the country that are still feeling um, what's left over from the recession. Uh, but I think that uh, everyone's headed in the right direction at this point. And if you will give me a couple examples of cities maybe where you're seeing more demand or less demand or maybe the recovery is trailing a little well, bit more. Uh, well, I, I would say uh, some markets in the southeast, uh, specifically Atlanta, uh, seems to be lagging. Uh, down in South Florida, we're seeing a huge, robust recovery. I mean, uh, you know, things were really tight during the recession down in uh, South Florida. Uh, now it's on fire. Uh, D.C. never slowed down. I mean, uh, D.C. is just so robust. I mean, huge tenant demand for all of our properties up in D.C., New York, Chicago. So I think really all the core major markets we're seeing just a huge tenant-driven uh, demand, which which is exciting. And your properties are Class A Shop, open air shopping center. Uh, I, I would say that we have a lot of, we're more in the value add type business. Okay. So while we do have some core properties, I mean, what we do is we try to go and buy a, an asset that uh, we can add some value to with our expertise in that particular market. Uh, and, you know, we've, we're finding a lot of that on the market right now. So okay. it's a good time for us. Okay. And Robert, what are you seeing for the types of tenants? Uh, who, who's active out there? You know, I think it's all types. Um, last year, um, we started to see a lot of people re-enter the market that hadn't been active in a while. You know, 2012 was kind of the year of the discounters. Mm -hmm. the, the dollar stores were moving into old boxes, and people were backfilling because they could get it at rents that they haven't been able to get in years. Mm -hmm. in, in 2013, we started to see the return of, you know, grocers, started to open new stores again. I mean, just as an example, I was reading Publix's 10K recently. They did uh, 10 new stores in 2013, which was, you know, kind of a low number for them. Their projecting to do 31 new stores in in you know in the coming year uh, and then ratchet up from there so they're active we're also seeing a lot of smaller tenants franchisees are popping up um, you know new concepts we're seeing a lot of our tenants that you know the hair salon that's opening a second and third location those kinds so it's been really kind of across the board from from credit national tenants to uh, to local mom and pops and I think it's all driven by the same which I think is people are just a little bit more comfortable about the economy and where we're headed uh, where, you know, a year or two ago, they were all just sort of sitting on the sidelines waiting to see what was going to happen. Yeah. Well, that's good news. And, and Mike, you're dealing with, with tenants uh, leading up uh, leasing around the country, a lot of different tenants. What's important to these tenants today when, when they're expanding and looking for new locations, you know, in, in their leases and in their sites and locations, uh, what seems paramount to them? Uh, I think one of the most important things is for them to find the right footprint and the right location. Mm -hmm. I think many retailers continue to struggle, you know, with right-sizing their retail stores and, you know, figuring out how that works into their omni-channel plans. And, uh, you know, I think if there's one thing that retailers learned from the last cycle was that, you know, bigger stores 
uh, doesn't necessarily mean bigger profits in the long run. And so I think that there's this continual uh, shift to try to look to right-size their footprint. And I think that getting flexibility to be able to contract uh, or grow, if necessary, uh, is paramount to a lot of retailers today. Okay, so in their leases, they're trying to get some flexibility uh, for, for changing the sizes of their space. Yeah. Um, and, and then they're concerned with being in the, the exact right location, a little more concerned about where they are. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the, it's not so much necessarily a downsizing as much as, okay, they're going to fight really hard on their sublease provision, right? So because mm-hmm. if they want to have, a, uh, you know, the ability to, to, to downsize uh, and sublease some, a portion of their space, right? Mm-hmm. And you're, you're seeing a lot of that right now. When leases are renewing now, are you still seeing some downsizing, guys? Uh, yeah, I would say yeah. so. Yeah. yeah, I think I think we are. And I mean, I think what we're seeing is sort of a return to fundamentals in the sense that mm-hmm. a lot of the troubled retail development was in the path of growth, quote unquote, right? It was going to be, well, they're building permits for 5,000 new houses. That's where we need to be. And then, mm-hmm. you know, 85 houses were built. And that, um, so we're seeing much more focus on visibility, access, uh, things that sort of, the, you know, what you really ought to focus on as opposed to just, well, there's going to be all this growth down the road. Um, the other thing we're finding with the smaller tenants is they're still pretty cash poor. Um, so we are getting still a lot of demand for TI, where they basically want you to put them in business. The, the old days of, well, we'll give you a couple months of free rent, you build it out yourself. There's still a lot of pushback, particularly from the smaller folks who just don't have the capital to, to put 40000 into a space to build it out for themselves. And what do you look for as a landlord to think about contributing to TI in that in that amount? Well, I mean, it, it, it's sort of a general trend is we put a lot more emphasis on the balance sheet, quite frankly, than we used to. And who's the credit behind the deal? Mm-hmm. As where, you know, look, three years ago, you take whoever you can get. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, do you take a flyer on some tenants? And if they don't make it after 18 months, well, you know, it's 18 months of revenue you weren't going to have. Mm-hmm. Um, now we put much more emphasis on who's the sponsor? Do they have other locations? What's their, you know, what's their balance sheet look like? Um, and uh, th- those are sort of the fundamentals we look for much more so than, you know, the old model used to be, well, you know, I'll pay $10 a square foot and amortize it over five years. I need $2 more in rent. Well, that's great. But if they're out of business a year later, that didn't do you a whole lot of good. <laughs> right. Um, so we're, we're definitely looking more at, at the, you know, the, the cash position of the sponsors. And what tenants are struggling right now? Who, who's closing and uh, what do you see out there? Um, you know, I, I think that you know, we're all reading the headlines mm-hmm. of uh, you know the people that are closing the stores, the J.C. Penneys, the Radio Shacks, mm-hmm. um, you know, of the world, and, and and I think it's you know if you look at who's being most affected by uh, the change in the consumer and who's buying what online, the office supply stores, um, I, I think you're going to have a continual change in all the retailers that you know, we work with in the shopping center business regularly. But I think it goes back to my point earlier of them figuring out how to right size, right? Because they're still going to have a retail presence, right? You're still going to have office supply stores. They just might not be 30,000 feet, right? Because they're doing a lot of that business uh, online now. Yeah. And I noticed some of these tenants are uh, are kind of licking their chops when they see some of these tenants closing stores where they can get in those, those prime locations, right? Uh, so so that's, that can be significant for some of these retailers because I know some of them are having trouble getting into the great locations in some of these markets. Well, stay with us. We'll have more on retail and retail real estate. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by Florida International University. With FIU's Fast Track system, you can earn your master's in real estate in just 10 months without interrupting your career. Visit FIUonline.com to learn more. 
That's FIUonline.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We do appreciate hearing from you. If you have any questions or comments, reach out to us in your favorite social media or email, uh, or you can actually call us. <laughs> we also have a carrier pigeon at the show. That's right. You can put a little note on the carrier pigeon and uh, send us a note that way. And uh, you can access all our contacts and our pigeon at commercialrealestateshow.com. Well, today we're exploring the world of retail and retail real estate with Mike Pooling with DLC Management and Robert Franson with Coral Realty Advisors. And, uh, you know, you guys are working with a bunch of retailers all the time. You're always concerned, I suppose, about how well their operations are going and how they're doing in in this environment. Yeah, what are some uh, tips that you see are working well today uh, for retailers? Mike, uh, you know, what, what would you, what kind of advice would you give retailers to be successful? You know, I think it's the same old advice that, that goes way back, and that is just listening to your customers. Uh, you know, I think the, the retailers that are doing it the best are the ones that are listening to their customers uh, and a good example of this is, uh, you know, Home Depot uh, recently reported that they're investing, I think, a billion five into their supply chain uh, technology to link their stores and e-commerce so that they can figure out how to omni-channel uh, retail uh, much more efficiently. And, you know, giving the consumer uh, exactly what they're expecting in terms of an experience and options to be able to buy online, pick up in store, buy in store, deliver to the house, um, is really where I think most retailers that are growing and are leading the industry, uh, you know, are, are doing a good job. Yeah, and I also think that the, the experience is a good point to make because, um, you know, unless you're going to compete on price, you have to offer something as a bricks-and-mortar retailer. And I think it's tough for most brick-and-mortar retailers to compete purely on price. I mean, unless you're, you know, a dollar store or a Walmart or somebody like that. So the the area where the landlords are being asked to do more is providing that experience, whether it be the amenities of the shopping center, the, just the overall aesthetics, um, a lot of those sorts of things retailers are focused on in a way that they weren't before uh, because they're having to offer something beyond just the best price because typically the best price is online. Yeah. Well, I had an experience the other day. I went to a retail store and I went to the store so I could pick it up that day. You know, I didn't buy it online. Well, I got to the store. They said, well, come over here to the computer and we'll order it for you and it'll be shipped. And I'm like, well, okay. Well, so then I go to the, the, the guy at the computer. Well, he wasn't very good at doing it online. He was the floor sales guy. So it wasn't a good experience. I said, well, I, my son could have done that for me in about five seconds. It took you like three minutes. <laughs> so uh, that wasn't a good experience. But, uh, you know, that's a lot of what they're doing, though, right? Uh, you go in the store and uh, and you can look at what they have and then order it online, right? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and you know, the training is a big part of that, you yeah. know, obviously. Yeah. Well, and, and Mike can probably speak to this more than I can, but tenant mix, I think, is becoming more important, too, because it, yeah. it gives you that chance for cross shopping where it isn't just the I drive in, I pick up what I want, and I leave. You give them something else to do while they're there. Oh, without question. You know, I, I think that, you know, tenant mix is one of the most important things in a shopping center today. Yeah, and I think the tenants sometimes will wonder why uh, you don't want them in your center, and you may not want them because they won't do well there because of tenant mix, or they won't help the, the other tenants, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, if you look at a shopping center uh, that's done right, uh, we all know them. Uh, you go there and it makes sense. And you just mm -hmm. go there and you say, you know, look, this, this developer really got it right. And, you know, unfortunately, I think what happens is sometimes you go to chasing dollars just to chase dollars on a retail development uh, when you really need to understand that, okay, even though this guy's not going to be paying me uh, maybe you know 75% of what everybody else is paying me in the development, this is a tenant that I want at the center because it fits my mix. Right. And you really have to look at it as a combination of the whole. Uh, it's like a clock where all the uh, little parts work together. Right. Well, I have a question for you guys is, you know, you're on the front lines here and, you know, we hear that fundamentals are improving uh, occupancy and, and rates, but then we hear they're still downsizing, as, as you've just said. So what do we should what should we expect moving forward for, for the rest of this year, and next year for uh, performance on retail properties? You know, I think the fundamentals are going to continue to improve. I think you're going to see uh, an increase in, in demand, which you're already seeing from tenants. Uh, you know, again, what I mentioned, the, the expansions, you know, right-sizing to a degree. But also, I think, fortunately, there are tenants to backfill that stuff now. You know, two years ago, when Best Buy wanted to go from a 45,000-square-foot store to a 25, there was no one to take that other 20. Mm -hmm. Now there are actually people that'll, that'll take the 20 or maybe take 10. Or um, So those options are out there. Uh, I do think that you have a lot of expansion. And on the, the supply side, um, I think you're going to start seeing new development. I mean, we at Coro, for instance, are starting to look at new development in in, in Tennessee. We're looking in, in the Carolinas, um, mostly focused on kind of grocery anchor development deals where you can get some pre-leasing and it's not quite as speculative. Um, now, those probably aren't going to deliver until 15 or 16, so I don't think you're going to see supply keep pace with demand in the coming year, uh, but eventually I think it's going to start to catch up, and I think that bodes well for returning to a certain amount of equilibrium. We're on the break, but uh, what demand are you seeing for these new sites? You know, pretty good, actually. Uh, mm. You know, I think the key for what we're doing is uh, trying to keep the shop space limited. You know, yeah. to, to do a grocery store with, you know, 20,000 square feet of shops is manageable. When you start doing 40 and 50, it's just hard to fill. We're know. on the retail market in just a moment. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by RealCrowd. RealCrowd lets you invest directly into shares of cash-flowing real estate with low investment minimums and the ease of investing online. Visit realcrowd.com slash radio. That's realcrowd.com slash radio. Welcome back. I'm Michael Ball, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We have some great shows coming up for you, including market updates and forecasts for multifamily and a show on mixed-use development. Don't miss a show of special interest to you. Sign up for a once-a-week email announcing the show topic at our new website, commercialrealestateshow.com. Well, today we're talking about the U.S. retail sector with Mike Pooling and Robert Franson. And, uh, Mike, can you share a few tips for landlords Related to leasing space in this environment, uh, how can they attract more tenants? I, I think that, you know, one of the things that I try to do, and I know this might be a little elementary, but is just to provide great customer service experience you all mean, throughout like the Answer the phone, like, like, turn yeah, calls. Answer the phones, you know, you know, and I know that we joke about that. It's kind of funny, you know, you say answer the phones, but I think we all know that uh, there's a lot of uh, leasing professionals and just professionals in real estate in general that probably have a full uh, uh, voicemail box right now, right? <laughs> Right. that are uh, right. you know saying that I'll get to the guy and you know the the reality is is that 
these people are consumers just like you and I. They don't want to be put on hold. Uh, they want their information now. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that if you're able to make sure that you're providing them a good customer service experience and you're addressing their questions, whether it be at the start of, uh, of an inquiry, mm -hmm. all the way to throughout a leasing transaction, um, because when they go through that experience and it's a positive one, uh, they're gonna tell everybody else you know, uh, at the center that they were in, and they're going to bring people to you. And 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 the best thing about a shopping center is that you want to be creating this positive momentum. You know, a guy told me one time the hardest space in a shopping center to lease is the first one, right? right? Uh, and the easiest is to lease is the last one. Uh, if you are able to have them be your word of mouth and say, hey, look, you know, go talk to Sally. How 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 well did I treat her during that? How was her experience? Uh, it really it really helps. Yeah, that's a good point. And Robert, how are you guys attracting tenants these days? Yeah, I think we're, we're doing it. We're doing that or we're trying to. I mean, you know, you do hear the stories from our leasing reps about the have a blessed day customers that call and you just, you know, from 10 seconds in, this isn't going anywhere, but, you know, you still act like a professional. But also what we're doing is, you know, we're putting aside more money for TI. Um, we're putting aside more money for commissions because tenant rep brokers have gotten more aggressive um, because I think they realize they're, you know, they're the gatekeepers. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what we're also trying to do is to to focus more on the co-tenancy in a good way. Right? Co-tenancy has kind of a bad connotation where if one tenant leaves, you're going to lose three others because they all have co-tenancy. But for instance, we did a deal recently where we sold an out parcel to a, a restaurant that is just kind of a cool, popular restaurant that has seven or eight other locations. And we did it at a number that we probably wouldn't have if it had been in a bank. Uh, we probably took a $200,000 haircut to get that tenant there because we knew what it would do for the rest of the center. Um, and focusing on that kind of co-tenancy, I think, helps your leasing momentum because suddenly you have the cachet of whatever that, that tenant might be. Um, but it also helps in terms of um, just the overall appeal of the place and, and it makes it more desirable for tenants. I like that. I mean, being proactive when you know you've got a tenant that the one is going to do really well in, in the center and then also help the, the center itself with the other tenants. I think that's fantastic. And being proactive and being aggressive and assertive with your rates. Um, and then if, uh, if you're not in retail real estate, co-tenancy is uh, a clause in your lease that if uh, a, a, a tenant goes toes up and anchor leaves or something, you have some rights in your, your lease to adjust the, the rent or, or maybe even leave. But there's less of that co-tenancy going on, I think, these days. There's think, been so many problems yeah, with it. I think it, we right? learned our lesson. Yeah, that was hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, what about some tips for tenants out there that uh, maybe they're expanding and want multiple locations? And uh, what would you give a tip to a tenant? You know, one of the things that I would, you know, tell a tenant is to, especially for locals, mm -hmm. uh, is to just make sure you're partnering uh, with a uh, retail, uh, with a landlord rather, that's going to treat you well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think oftentimes, especially for local mom and pop retailers, they're looking and saying, okay, well, what's the best price? You know, who's, who's, who's charging the lowest rent? And what you need to understand is that the lowest price also comes with the roof that leaks, <laughs> the parking lot that has uh, potholes in it, and the cracks in the sidewalk, and the, the lawn that doesn't get mowed. So, you know, you really want to be other, careful. And the other tenants that aren't bringing in by customers. Right, right, right. <laughs> so you really want to be careful about who you're partnering with. And I think partnering with a landlord uh, that's experienced, that's maintaining their properties appropriately, I think is really paramount. Well, what about um, when you're looking, Robert, at a, at a tenant and you're a landlord, what are some things that you look at to, to help you decide if you want that tenant or not or how assertive you're going to be to get them? 
I think we look at two things. We look at credit is king. Uh, I mean, who, who they are, what their balance sheet, what's their track record. And the other th- part is what do they bring to the center? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, for instance, a, a dentist may have great credit and they don't tend to leave. Mm-hmm. They don't add a lot to your center in terms of driving, you know, cross shopping. Yeah. Uh, as where a restaurant may not have great credit, but draws a lot of traffic. So it's trying to balance those two things. But those are really the two factors we mostly focus on is what's the financial strength of the actual operator and the tenant? And, and what do they do for our other tenants that are maybe we're going to be able to make up some of the some of the revenue by getting some better rates and some better tenants elsewhere. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. I, and I think that, you know, for me, I almost put, you know, because I'm more on the leasing front, uh, put mix above the credit uh, in some cases, you know. And the reason for that is because I think that, you know, again, a shopping center is working together uh, just like a clock, and you have to have that right operator using that that particular having that particular use in order to be successful as a whole. And you know, oftentimes uh, they might not be paying the rents uh, that that you want, and uh, and maybe you're taking a shot with them. You yeah. know, so but it's paramount, I think. Well, those are good points. And one thing we've had success with is when we're, we're leasing a space is to first of all think about who's going to do well there and uh, concentrating on that. And then we know what, what business will do extremely well there. Then go to those tenants and show them. And, and, you know, maybe they have good credit, maybe they don't, but if they'll do well there, they're going to pay the rent, right? right. Absolutely. Uh, and help the center because they're bringing in more traffic. Um, all right, well, we've, we're going to take a break here. When we get back, we're going to have some more tips related to retail and retail real estate. This is Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by France Media. France Media provides exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit francemediainc.com or call 404-832-8262. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We're invited to send us questions to info at CREshow.com. Each business day, I answer a question on video, and we post it to the Twitter account, Ask Michael Bull, and the YouTube channel, Commercial Real Estate Show. You can also see it at the tab, Answers, at our new website, CommercialRealEstateShow.com. Well, today, we're exploring retail and retail real estate with Mike Pooling and Robert Franson. And guys, let's talk about investment properties a little bit. You know, Robert, what are you seeing in the investment sales market for the availability of, of core assets and value asset, value-add assets for acquisition? Well, I think Dan spoke to the core pretty well in terms of there's a tremendous amount of capital chasing those deals and, and compressing yields even more so than in years past. Mm-hmm. Um, the interesting change we've seen has been more on the value-add side, where that was definitely a core piece of Coro's portfolio the last couple of years, just to buy shopping centers that were maybe half empty and try to backfill them and retenant them. The low-hanging fruit of that stuff is largely gone. Mm-hmm. Um, what we're finding is that the people are paying today for what they think they can do with the center two years from now. Mm-hmm. And that's compressing yields even on the value-add side. Um, where I think there are still some opportunities on value-add might be you know, larger-scale deals, uh, whether you're buying a portfolio from a lender that's trying to unload a half a billion dollars worth of real estate in one shot, or maybe you're buying larger assets. But at least in the stuff that we had historically done, which was sort of the 90,000 square foot and under shopping centers, it's become really tough to find any value add deals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I would agree with that. And, you know, uh, for us in particular, I mean, we've, we've recently purchased a couple of value add deals. We uh, purchased a 500,000 square foot uh, shopping center in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. 
uh, we're uh, under contract to buy one in New Jersey. Um, we are seeing a lot of stuff uh, in Baltimore uh, that we're uh, working on. So uh, I'm really encouraged by what I'm seeing on the value add side still, especially on, in terms of the bigger size projects right. that mm-hmm. uh, you know that are that are that are coming across our, our desk. So all right, and Robert, you guys may be paying all cash for these things, but but what do you see out there for lender interest? And retail. I know a few years ago, you'd say retail on a lender would shutter. Like, no, I, I'm not touching that. What about yeah. now? Yeah, it's been very encouraging. I mean, I, quality, clearly, the, the leverage has gotten more aggressive. I think it depends a little bit on who you're talking to, but but on any kind of stabilized asset, CMBS, they seem to be competing mostly on leverage. They're a little mm-hmm. bit more expensive. Life insurance companies, you can't get quite as much money from them, but they'll, they'll lend it to you at a lower rate. But even on the value-add deals, I mean, we're seeing you know, non-recourse debt uh, for assets that, that don't have enough money in place to cover the debt service, which we hadn't seen historically. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just putting aside, like an old construction loan, you put an interest reserve aside. Um, we're seeing um, limited recourse on some assets where, you know, for instance, it burns off after you hit some benchmark. Um, pricing has gotten more aggressive. Leverage has gotten more aggressive. And the number of players entering that sector is also interesting, where it used to really just be uh, banks. Now it's become small life companies. It's become funds that are setting up, um, you know, MESDET, those sorts of things. There are a lot of different capital sources on the lending side. Okay. One of the things I would also just add to that is I, I think that, you know, I'm seeing um, lenders turn around uh, information uh, and approvals much quicker than just a few years ago. Uh, so I'm really encouraged by that. You know, uh, for a long time, it was very difficult to get SNDAs, get waivers, get things of that nature. Uh, you know, it just took forever. And uh, I'm really encouraged by the lenders that, uh, you know, that we have at least, uh, you know, about the speed at which they're turning things around. That's great. And our fun has to end here in a moment. Can you give us a quick tip for our listeners? Robert? Uh, you know, I'd say watch the balance sheet and watch the leverage. Let's learn the lessons from the last recession where, you know, 80% loan to value may look great on paper, but doesn't leave you a lot of room for error. Okay. Yeah. And I, I would just say, you know, if you're in the retail real estate business, you know, stay true to who you are, uh, find your niche and what you're good at, and just try to be the best that you can. Uh, you're not going to be all things to all people. This is a very niche business. Mm-hmm. So figure out what it is that you excel at and, uh, and stay true to that. Well said, gentlemen. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks. For more from Mike, visit dlcmgmt.com for management. And for Robert, visit coralrealty.com. And you're invited to join us next week. Uh, we're going to look into the management investment tips related to multifamily properties. It'll be a good one. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Michael Bull. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh. And join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Atlanta Office Liquidators, new and used furniture liquidators, France Media, publications and conferences, and Bull Realty Commercial Brokerage, a great place to do business. For more information on these companies or to access additional podcasts, videos, or blogs, visit commercialrealestateshow.com.